With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your line is muted. Only the host can unmute your line. Raise your hand using star 2 so the host knows when you want to speak. That mode here. Am I coming through okay, John? Um, good, thank you. <laughs> That was a little delayed response, Toronto. It's supposed to get really cold here, Toronto. Next thir this Thursday, it's supposed to get down to 28 degrees and snow. I don't know what Canada's been like, but it's been really nice here. We've had a beautiful fall, so we can't really complain. Um, I don't know how, how Toronto's doing. Hopefully you're not getting too much inclement weather, or maybe it is clement weather for this time of year. Um, just for your knowledge, um, in this book, The Anti-Gospel, um, in chapter 31, Page 367, 49 degrees Fahrenheit. Man, that sounds pretty nice. It's warmer there than it is here, I think. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, it may, be a, it may be about the same here, I guess. About 48, I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Hi, Andrew Brown. Good to see you, and I did get your email. I haven't had a chance to open it up yet. I'm always looking for some humor, so I will be sure and open that uh, open that up. Good to see you with us tonight. Um, and anyway, we've got in chapter 30, wait a minute, chapter 31, page 367, in the book, The Anti-Gospel, chapter that is entitled um, Arminian Counterfeit Bibles. And he covers a lot in this chapter. He covers Chuck Smith and his involvement uh, with Zonderman. covers Rupert uh, Murdoch. And, of course, uh, the connecting link with the New International Version and HarperCollins Publishing. Um, and he covers a lot about the problems with the New International Version. So that'll be along here shortly. It looks like maybe he's already joined us. Hold on a second. Let me get to participants and I'll unmute. Good evening, Brother Mark, and good evening, Brother Ed. Good evening, good evening. Larry. 
And let's see. Uh, yeah, I think I think um, Ed and Mark are both with us now. Are you with us, Ed? I am here. <laughs> okay. You're 540 and Mark is 562, so I'm that's why I get you all confused a little bit. Um, well, we're well, we're way, we're way up, we're very much on schedule, ahead of schedule. I, I'd much rather be ahead of schedule than behind. We've got a number of people on Facebook Live, um, and <clears throat> I did get your email, brother, uh, brother Ed, and I. I was just kind of sharing with the Facebook people regarding chapter 31 in your book, The Anti-Gospel and the Counterfeit Bibles, and how you go into depth, of the, quite a bit of depth, of the problems with the New International Version and the changes in the textual scripture and so on, and the meanings of the changes. Um, but you wanted to go more into depth regarding some of the problems with some of the versions of the Bible, so I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you because you've done much, much more research on this than I have, and I'm glad we have you on board to clarify some things for us. So um, just feel free to take all the liberty you want. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, should I start now? Sure. We're recording. And, okay. Uh, all right. Let, I'll, start, I'll start right off then. Um, okay. The uh, the controversy regarding the new Bible versions uh, has been going on for quite some time, and the problem is that the some of the organizations, and one in particular I'll discuss right now, uh, has been raised up to defend the King James Bible. Okay, and the uh, this organization, I believe, is sandbagging, uh, and I believe that they are put in place. There are people running the organization uh, that are using an argument that does not actually support God's word. Uh, they portray themselves as defenders of God's word, but in fact, they undermine God's word. And the organization I'm talking about is the Dean Bergen Society. And people will be surprised to hear me say that, but let me, let me talk about the, my reason for saying that. And as I studied this issue, and I've studied the arguments of the Dean Bergen Society, um, it's become clear to me that this organization is corrupt. And they use corrupt arguments. They use ineffective arguments. Uh, and they really are only half-heartedly defending the King James Bible. Now, first of all, we have to set the premise. God's word, okay, has been preserved. That's a given. God has promised to preserve his word. He has stated in his Bible his word would be preserved uh, forever. O Lord, thy words, thy word is settled in heaven. That's in Psalms 119.89. Okay? And I don't want to rehash what we talked about last time because I talked about these passages that state clearly 
that uh, the word of the Lord endureth forever. That's in First Peter one twenty five. Okay, and again Psalms twelve: Thou shalt keep them, O Lord; thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Speaking of His words, words of the Lord. So uh, God has promised to preserve His word. Now the issue is: Okay, where where is His word found? Where is His word found? Because uh, the Dean Burson Society has stated that uh, his word is found in the original autographs of the Greek and Hebrew text. Stop and think about that. Uh, basically, what they're saying is that we don't have God's word today in the English language or indeed in any language because their argument is based on the premise that only the original autographs were God-breathed, were inspired by God. So they have taken the definition of inspiration and limited it to only the very first parchments or vellum or whatever was written, and that any translation or any reproduction is subject to human corruption. So basically, they're calling God a liar, because they're saying that God did not preserve his word and that we can only rely on this idea that the original autograph is preserved. Now, here's what they say. They say that the texts that are closest to the original autographs of the Bible are the traditional Masoretic texts of the Old Testament and the received text, the Texas Receptus used in the uh, the traditional Greek text of the New Testament. That's what they say. And they say that those are the texts used as the source for the King James Bible. So they say they're closest to the original autographs, and they say the King James Bible is superior to the other Bibles, but they do not say that the King James Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay, so... The Dean Burgeon Society, like, very similar, very similar. They're, they're arguing from the same platform as the, uh, those that promote the new Bible versions. Their position is there is no Bible that we can point to, King James or otherwise, that is, in fact, the inspired word of God in the English language because the only uh, text, that is inspired would be the original Hebrew and the original Greek. Now, that is an argument that is refuted by God's word, okay? And I believe that they, are, they, they have set themselves up to lose the argument in any debate. And I listened to uh, D.A. Waite, who was, I believe, the president or head of the Dean Burton Society. He's now deceased. But he was in a debate with um, this guy White, um, James White. James White. James. James White. He was, and and he did such a poor job in that debate. James White mopped the floor with him, and the reason he mopped the floor with him is because uh, D. A. Waite, okay, was arguing from a position that the original autographs. And are uh, were the inspired word of God, and that the texts that we have 
that is the basis, the majority text that's the basis for the King James is a superior text, okay? But he would not say that the other texts, okay, were, he would only say they were inferior. Now, he's talking out of, he's talking with a forked tongue, too. So in one portion of the debate, he would say that the new Bible version, original Greek, Greek text underlying the new Bible versions, is corrupted. And it was corrupted by um, uh, people who were purposely corrupting uh, God's word, all right? And yet, and yet, he would not say anything other than that they were inferior texts. He would not say that they are, uh, they have satanic readings. He wouldn't say that. He said, I don't say that. No, 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 no. Uh, and so he has very much a, a, an inconsistent argument. So we have heathens who have uh, corrupted texts, and that they are the basis for the modern Bible versions, but he will only say that they're inferior and that the King James is superior. Not that the King James is God's inspired word, but it's closest to the originals, you see. And so this is a, uh, this is a losing argument, and it is an argument that is losing because it's simply not true. The King James is more than just superior. It is God's inspired word in the English language, okay? And when you, when you read the King James, uh, inspiration means that God gives you understanding. And so that's another thing. They limit inspiration to the actual writing of the original text, that no translation can be inspired. Uh, and they, they um, pejoratively call that double inspiration. Well, I will, I, I, I will tell you that God double inspires things because Jesus referred um, time and time again to the scripture that they had. He quoted from the scripture that they had, and those were not the original autographs. The original autographs were long gone, okay? Um, and so when they referred to scripture, they referred to the scripture they had in their hands. And the scripture we have in the King James is the scripture we have in our hands, okay? And when we talk about inspiration, if you look at 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, from a child, Timothy had the holy scriptures. He had them. He didn't have the original uh, autographs. And by the way, at that time, they were talking about the Old Testament, okay? And in 3.16, the very next passage, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, okay? So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What scripture is that? The very scripture which was able to make Timothy wise that from his child childhood he had known. And now what does this word inspiration mean? Well, if you go to Job 32.8, it says, but there is a spirited man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. So inspiration simply means that the Holy Spirit gives somebody understanding of what they're reading in Scripture. And so this idea of inspiration being limited to only the original draftsmen of the 
uh, scripture is wrong. Inspiration not only means that, but it also means that it's inspiration and the preservation from, from uh, one translation to the other. It also means when you read it, you're given understanding. God preserves his word. He gives the translator's understanding. That's what that means. And so the idea that the Dean Burgeon Society wants to limit inspiration to the original autographs is just, it, it's, it's misleading. It is uh, uh, an attempt to impeach God's promise of preserving his word. And this is the organization that people look up to, that they research to try to find, uh, you know, what arguments can be used. And yet they, they end up with these, uh, an argument that, that has no merit. And, the, and no wonder that uh, James White uh, basically made D.A. Waite uh, look foolish in the debate because D.A. Waite uh, didn't have anything really to fall back on, any authority. He couldn't argue from a position of authority. He didn't have it. And, of course, no surprise, he's a graduate of the Dallas Theological Seminary, the one of the many liberal seminaries, okay? Uh, and I believe he also taught at the Dallas Theological Seminary putting out the, uh, the dead Christians who then go out and spread the dead uh, gospel that they claim is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's an Arminian free will um, gospel that only offers uh, a, a, a hope, a chance, uh, it, it, but it's all up to the free will of man. Well, that's really interesting. But I have more. I have more, but I'm going I'm to yeah. have a little interlude if you have any questions on, on the Dean Burgess Society. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I've done quite a bit of reading on the Dean Burgeon Society, and, you know, it's always been presented to me, like you stated, as the go-to uh, in answer to Westcott and Hort, and it's always been given uh, great accolades by, you know, those that are in the King James Version camp. And I've... Also, I know that David Waite, I know just from even uh, studying your book, um, in, in your book on footnote 95, he even comes against the doctrine of uh, limited atonement. Uh, so, yeah. you know, he's not in good stead with me at all, just knowing that. But um, I, I really think that you nailed some things on this aspect of inspiration i've never fully understood there's a lot of terms that are thrown around out there like inherency infallibility uh inspiration and i don't know why uh people struggle with the realities that god is the only one that reveals his word to whom he wants to reveal it to i mean I can take a King James Version of the Bible and something may be revealed to me and someone else may read the King James Version of the Bible and they may not even get it because God has not, through his Holy Spirit, revealed it to those people. And so I understand That's that. Right. The thing that I don't understand is why that these people that are supposed to be such great uh, articulate debaters I, I'm like you. I heard James White just literally annihilate Wade in his arguments. And, and, you know, at least James White is somewhat consistent. What I mean by that is he sets forth, and I don't, these, these arguments about 
the age of the text and which which represents uh, you kind of covered this a little bit last time. Maybe you can kind of resummarize that for us. But in other words, what I well here's here's an argument. I, well, I mean, you you raise a good point. Let's just take this one at a time with regard to the debate yeah. that he had with with uh, with White. He simply had to ask White a simple a, a simple question that would have completely destroyed White's argument, and that is, yeah. please tell me where is God's word in the English language? And, mm-hmm. White, and, and, and White would have to say, I don't know, because he doesn't. <laughs> he, right. he doesn't. There is no, uh, and, and, and the reason, the reason that D.A. Waite could not make that argument is because if that question was asked of him, he would say the same thing. So they're both well, see, that, arguing from a position that we don't have God's word. It's and hard see, for me to believe. That's the See, it's hard for me to, to believe, uh, and you indicated to this as well. Uh, you know, Dr. James White is no buffoon. I mean, he's not an idiot. He has traveled in some pretty high circles, and he's privy to what's going on. And for him to take the attitude that God's word is not contained in the authorized King James version of the Bible, uh, I think is going. I think he is. I think he is going in the face of his own conscience from from things I've heard him say before regarding God's word. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Well, look, 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 the, I, the thing is, the thing is, the the he. That's the thing. These people are double minded. So they'll say, yeah. they'll hold up a book and they'll say, oh, this is God's word, but they don't believe it. They don't believe it. Right. If you ask them, if you ask them, is that God's inspired word in you? They would have to say no. In fact, let me quote, let me give you a quote from D.A. Waite, who, by the way, is a King James defender. Here's what he says. My Bible is the King James Bible, which is not inspired by God or God breathed. But, he says, is the only accurate, reliable, and true translation of the preserved, inerrant, inspired, God-breathed, perfect Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek words in which it is based. So his authority <laughs> is based upon the, the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek upon, upon which it's founded, and then it's only the original autographs, see? So, um, and, and that's why he was... I mean, basically, he was in that match with one arm tied behind his back because he could not argue that that White does not have an ins- the inspired word of God. He cannot point to any Bible that has the word of God according to his philosophy, see? Let me ask you Which a question. A maybe, maybe you can clear, clear this up for me. Um, I've asked this to several people, and they want to get into semantics, and that's not really why I'm asking the question. I'm more asking this question to get an understanding of people's perception about uh, the distinction between what is infallible, what's inspired, and what's inherent. Can you can you kind of discuss that for me? Because I've I've asked people and I'm not going to mention any names, but I've asked people, do you believe that the King James Version of the Bible is infallible? And they'll say no. 
I don't believe that it's infallible. I believe there are errors in it, and I believe there are things that could be improved upon. Then I'll say, do you believe that the King James Version of the Bible um, is inherent? And they'll go, yes. <laughs> okay. And then I'll say, do you believe that the King James Version of the Bible is inspired or, you know, is, is inspired? And they'll say, like you said, uh, to some degree. Now, I guess they're, I guess they're going back to the single inspiration that you were talking about rather that's than right, double that's inspiration. That's right. They, they call it, they, they, they've come up with a word to mock people who believe that the King James is God's word, uh, in, God's inspired word. They call that double inspiration. So well, can you explain that they, can you explain to me what, when we talk about the infallibility of the scripture, what does that what does that mean to you, and how does that relate to double inspiration? Okay, well, um, understand this. This idea of infallibility is closely uh, – <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what the Roman Catholics – you know what the Roman Catholics call the King James Bible? They call no. it the Pope of the Protestants. You know why? Wow. Because the Protestants view the King James as infallible, God's infallible word. It's inerrant. Okay, that is, there's no mistake in it that it is an inspired word of God. Well, they have their own pope who is, they claim to be infallible. So we have the word of God, which is infallible. They have the pope who's infallible, okay? And part of their doctrine is when the pope speaks ex cathedra from the chair, which, by the way, anytime he speaks about morals and doctrine, it's ex cathedra. That's a dirty secret they don't want you to know, okay? So you uh, and you have, as we know, have had popes who have contradicted other popes. So right. um, as far as this idea of infallibility, yes, I believe it is infallible. It's a God's infallible yeah. word. It is inerrant. There is no error in that word. It is inspired. And by the way, when you read it, uh, in order to understand it, you, the Holy Spirit must inspire you to understand it. The Holy Spirit gives you understanding through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When you read it, see, that inspiration is, goes in both directions. And so the, the idea that, that there are these distinctions, if it's not perfect, then it's not God's word. Okay? So what you're saying is that... And the, Pardon? Yeah, so what you're, what you're saying is is that people that say that it could be improved, it could have been improved upon, or it could be improved upon, that really flies in the face of both infallibility and inherency, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and by the way, by the way, we're not talking about um, spelling convention and things like that. So, uh, right. you know... Like D.A. Waite has done a lot of work with regard to – hold on. i gotta, I got to do something here with my earpiece. Okay. All right. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes. He has done uh-huh. a lot of work with, with, re, with regard to the different, uh, the different versions of, um, of the King James. And I, I, I shouldn't call them versions. I, I should call them revisions. And basically, um, for the most part, 
these these revisions are things that involve um, spelling convention, um, and uh, and in some instances, in some instances, it does involve the uh, the change in a word that would that would that would sound different to our ear. So, for instance, instead of the word among, okay, or rather amongst, you'd have the word among, okay. So things like okay. that, those slight changes, you know, have been made. Uh, word uh, uh, spelling conventions have been uh, uh, changed. They also the uh, the text type was changed from the German type. Okay, uh, so there there are little things like that, uh, but it there there have been no substantive changes in the King James. All right, so these are, and, and so the the. Um, if it's God's word, it's perfect as far as the substance of what's being conveyed. And it is a word-for-word translation. Uh, the translation was formal equivalence. It was not dynamic equivalence as they use in all the other new Bible versions. Well, I've got a comment from Andrew Brown, and you may have seen it. I think he sent it out to you as well. And he he has got quite a bit of evidence to show that um, you know um, Dr. James White is really very close friends with <clears throat> um, the founder of the Lockman Foundation, and of course he also says that he's friends with the Jesuit uh, Michael Brown and also Freemason. Now, I know that just from my study with the Dean Bergen group, they don't seem to be interlocked with some of these same people. I think what your statement is, is that uh, Dean Bergen, uh, his problem is his presupposition. His problem is he doesn't stand alone on the King James Version of the Bible, but goes back to the original text as the, as the authority. And every time I find, in, if I get in a conversation with these people that have to go back to the original text for their authority, they're undermining the preservation of God's Word in the King James Version of the Bible. It seems like they're undermining yeah. it. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's not purposeful. Maybe it's not premeditated. But they're question. They're questioning. In other words, they're saying, like you stated earlier, you have to have the original text to validate the authority of the King James Version of the Bible. Yeah, and understand this: that in these seminaries, and I uh, again will call them cemeteries. Uh, if somebody <laughs> took the position. If somebody took the position of double inspiration, they'd be run out of the school. Uh, you'd flunk your classes. Um, you'd be looked at as a heretic, and they, that's what they do. They call them heretics, okay? Um, and uh, you would not graduate. So the people that come out of these cemeteries uh, are those people that toe the line. D.A. Waite is one of them, okay? And they... Uh, you know, the, the, there are people who that get to a position of control over 
these um, schools of higher education, and they will dictate what the curriculum will be. And they're, they, they are not churches. There is no free expression where you're able to discuss the Bible. No. It, you are to regurgitate what you are taught, okay? And so if you are taught a particular theological position, that's the theological position you will take. And in fact, many of these schools have particular theological positions that they have stated. And uh, right. one of them, I think Dallas Theological Se- uh, Se- uh, Seminary, has come out with, I believe, uh, expressly stating that they, re- they, they um, definitely do not adhere to uh, limited atonement. So right. they reject limited atonement. So if you, if you accept limited atonement, I don't know what you'd be doing taking the classes there. How could you? I mean, it's an Arminian, it's an Arminian uh, seminary. Yeah, the same, thing is, yeah the same thing is true with Liberty University. They've, they've taken the same stance. And by the way, um, I, I have heard, now I, I have to do a little bit more research on this, but I have heard now now that some seminaries are starting to take the position that they do not want to they do not want to take a, a position one way or the other what constitutes biblical cosmology. Now they're getting into that aspect of it. In other words, they don't want people coming into their seminary making geocentrism and heliocentrism an issue. They don't want. They don't even want that discussion to take place. Okay. Now the seminaries are starting to bring this aspect of the cosmology, biblical cosmology, or what constitutes biblical cosmology, up. I just find that profoundly interesting because I've never heard uh, cosmology being a uh, a point of faith. You know. And now these seminary cemeterians are wanting to say. We will not allow people to be stringent in their position regarding biblical cosmology. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yes, it is, because that you're dealing with God's creation. Yeah. And see that that the 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 heliocentric view is really the foundation uh, for Darwinism. The Darwinian evolution actually springs from heliocentrism. Without heliocentrism, there would be no Darwinism. Wow. So, well, so uh, let me ask you a question back to this uh, authorized King James Version of the Bible. Now, a lot of people out there have a discussion saying that the 1611 version isn't the true authorized version. There's earlier versions that are better than the 1611. And that's another argument I hear. Even in the King James Version only camp, that they always want to go back to the original first whatever it was, uh, King James Version of the Bible as being the only authentic version. What, what's your response to that? Well, I believe that the King James is actually uh, superior, and it is a um, it is God's further. Uh, refinement of his revelation so right. uh, it is perfectly timed it is perfectly timed and I, I you know the 
Tyndale Bible was a, a fine Bible, okay? And, but uh, there are those who want to go back to the Tyndale, the original Tyndale Bible, and in particular, they want to uh, go back to the, uh, the they, they prefer the word congregation rather than church. Um, now, the, the problem is that a, a congregation is, is just a group of people, whereas a church is, in, in God's view, it is, a, is, it is more a spiritual body of those who are set apart. So good point. that's um, a good point. I never, I never thought about that before, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Congregation refers to the majority rules democracy. <laughs> yeah, it's a group of a, a physical. It's a physical group of people. Okay. Yeah. And and it, a congregation doesn't necessarily uh, involve a spiritual group of people. It could be a congregation right. for a business enterprise or anything else like that, whereas the idea of yeah. a church is also a congregation, all right, but it is also a, the spiritual body of Christ. So the right. – um, and, and I don't I, – I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to criticize Tyndale, but, uh, I, you know, the, the idea of going back to congregation, there is an agenda. There's an agenda in that, by the way. Um, and I've um, I've debated some people in, in emails about this. So yes, the King James is without question uh, a a refinement according to God's timing. I mean, in in the in the book of uh, Proverbs, it talks about His Word being refined seven times. So uh, where does He say that? Okay, here we go. Psalms twelve six through seven. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace purified seven times okay so his words are purified there's a process of purification uh for his words and i believe the apex of that is found in the king james um so yes the bishop's bible was fine okay these were all these were all uh part of god's refinement of his word uh to the apex which we now have in the king james uh bible right now, there are several different uh, renditions of the King James Bible, are there not? No. I mean, there are, there no. are like I said, the, the, there, the 16th, there's a 1769 word, uh, a re, right. um, revision. There's a, oh, yeah, there's a several revisions. But again, we're talking about spelling convention, um, you know, things like that. And there are only, I think, a couple hundred changes that would you would you would notice to your ear, like as I mentioned right. one example, among instead of amongst and so forth. But it doesn't change the meaning. Right. But right. most of the time, it's just a spelling convention and, and, and that sort of thing. Right. Because now, remember, the last the, time... Go ahead. Well, the last time you mentioned that probably of all the versions out there and translations, probably the most... Um, the most popular or the most broadly received is the New International Version. Um, right. Why is why is that over all the other versions? You think? Part of it's marketing, okay. Right. Uh, and I think it is well marketed. Um, 
it's not any easier to read because they actually did an analysis to find out which Bible was easiest to read. And it turns out King James is easier to read and understand for what it says than the NIV. What the NIV does is they um, they talk in a more conversational manner, all right? So rather than getting the exact meaning, they talk around things. So it, 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 people think that it's easier to read and easier to understand, but what they, don't, what they don't get is the fact that they're not getting an understanding of the Scripture. They're just getting an understanding of what some translator has determined the Scripture says. So it's, it's, um, it's more of an interpretation because they use dynamic equivalence. So they'll, they'll read a sentence or several sentences, and then they'll rephrase them and put them in, in the common vernacular. So they won't translate a noun to a noun, a verb to a verb. They will, just, they will, they will read it and give it the dynamic equivalence. Of, uh, if, you know, if you've ever dealt with um, interpreters, You'll, you'll speak, all right, for a few, you know, maybe a minute or some, a few seconds, and then you'll stop, and then they will interpret what you said in another language. Well, they're not doing it word for word, all right? They're interpreting what you said and putting it as close as they can to what they think you're trying to convey. Sometimes they get it wrong, because I've had, I've had situations where interpreters will say, well, you know, he got that wrong, uh, you know, and I, 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 I know of situations where someone will speak for 30 seconds and the interpreter will then um, speak for five seconds. Well, there's no way you can <laughs> fit 30 seconds worth of English into five seconds in Spanish, let's say, or Portuguese or whatever yeah. language had. In this instance, it was Portuguese. So it was clear, it was clear to the speaker that it wasn't being translated properly. And so you have a lot of that in these Bibles. They're, they're, they're not proper translations. And I can give you example after example after example, which I, which I, uh, if we have time, I'd like to do, to show people what we're talking about, because, you know, it's it's hard to get a grasp on just how bad these corruptions are and what they have done. Yeah. Okay. Let's get in. Let's go ahead and get into that. Yeah. Okay. All right. And let's and let's make. I want to make the point also. If you read Revelations 22, eight, verses 18 and 19. Uh, understand what they're doing and understand the consequences of what, it, what these translators, what these, these publishers are doing with these new Bible versions. And it says, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Okay. So that is a, uh, uh, a the dire consequence for those who would tamper with God's word. So let's take uh, uh, let's go let's let's look at some of the omissions. And by the way, if you read an NIV, an NIV is about 10% shorter, is a 10% fewer words uh, than in a typical King James Bible. You're missing uh, probably about 170 pages on a 1,700-page Bible. So let's look at some of the things uh-huh. that they've taken out. And anybody who has their NIV in front of them, uh, you know, and, and you, you can open it up and, and read along with me, and I will point out some passages which are missing from the NIV. So uh, Matthew 17.21. If you turn to Matthew 17.21, you'll see that it's missing. It's not there. 
So, and by the way, that's one of the reasons that they, that they use the paragraph format in the NIV so they can conceal, they can conceal the missing passages. So they've taken 1721 out. And, and that passage talks about the um, uh, driving demon devils out of people. How be it this kind, that is this kind of devil, but not out, but by prayer and fasting. And so, of course, the devils want not, that not to be known, right? So that passage is gone. Um, if you look at Matthew 18.11, okay, uh, that is completely removed. And it's that, that is the passage that says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. I think that's a pretty important thing to, to, to have in the Bible. I think that's an important, pretty important uh, concept, but it's gone. Okay? Matthew 23.14, completely gone. If you turn to your NIV and you look that up, that passage is gone. So it will jump from uh, 23.13 to 23.15. Now, sometimes they will put the number in and then have a, a little end note at the bottom, okay? Uh, and this is the passage that's missing. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Well, of course. Well, of course, the, the devil and his minions want to have that removed from the Bible and have the people not know about the curse that's upon the Pharisees and the hypocrites. Uh, Mark 7:16, And if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, interesting, that is missing. What does that go to? Well, that speaks to right to the, what we were talking about earlier regarding what is inspiration. Inspiration is right. spiritual understanding. And that's what Jesus repeatedly said. Um, uh, he said, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. So he, he's saying this, these are things that, you, that are understood spiritually. You must have spiritual ears to hear and, and understand what he's saying. Okay? And, of course, they don't want that to be known. Uh, Mark 944, uh, where it says, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. All right, that speaks of the, uh, the eternal fire and the fact that it is, in fact, eternal. The worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Of course, uh, they don't want that to be known because if they, can, if, if they can remove the fear of hell from people, then they will, they, they'll have less um, uh, reason to seek the Lord and seek their salvation from damnation. Um, well, let me let me uh, jump in there. By the way, um, I, we've covered this recently, Brother Mark Kennedy and I have covered this in a program. But there is a massive amount of people who call themselves evangelical. Of course, that term has become kind of a catch-all. But uh, a massive amount of preachers, pastors, reverends, doctors, all that, that are totally into annihilation theory now. So that would that would really substantiate what you're saying, why they would take this out. They say, you know, eternal destruction means destruction and not eternal fire. And so yep. yeah, that's that's real interesting. Yeah. I did a uh, somebody uh, had written a book on that issue and I went passage by passage and uh, I found that passages were taken out of context. Uh, I found it was unsupportable. Right. 
this right. idea of this idea of annihilation. Yeah. The Bible makes it clear. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. there, there is not weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Yeah, the worm yeah. dieth not. Yeah. And it talks about eternal fire, not a fire that burns out. So, yeah, you're, that's a really good point. Mark 9, 44, we'll, we'll have to make a special note of that, Brother Mark. Go ahead, brother. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I've just heard a lot about okay. annihilation. Well, 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 here's a real controversial section. This is Mark 16, uh, 9 through 20, okay? So we have 11 verses. I'm sorry, maybe no, 12 verses. 12 verses, excuse me, because that includes verse 9. So 12 verses, and there's a line, if you look in the NIV, uh, if you turn to the NIV, you'll see that right at that point, there's a line that is in the NIV, and that line uh, appears, okay, right before um, you come to Mark 16, 9 through 20. And that says, there's a line separating last, and it says, uh, the, uh, and some of, some of the Bibles say the two most, others say the most reliable early manuscripts and some of, some of the perversions say, and other ancient witnesses, okay, uh, do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20, okay? So uh, the, in the NIV, they basically call into question, they do put those passages in, but they preface it okay. with um, the most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. And so basically they're saying, we're putting it here, but we don't think it should be here. See? Why? Why do they do that? Because that's too many verses to take out, and, and it would be too obvious that there's something wrong with their Bible. See? They, right. can, they can take out a verse here and there and conceal it in their paragraph format, but they can't take out 12 verses. It's too obvious. Okay? Right. So they couldn't take right. them all out, so they just left them in and said, hey, by the way, don't pay attention to these. They're not in the best manuscripts. Um, another controversial section is 1 John 5, 7. Okay? And that is completely removed. And what they've done here, uh, really interesting. Um, they've taken verse 7 out, uh, uh, verse 7 out, okay? And then they split. They split it so you don't notice that they took it out. So they'll have... For instance, in the NIV, they start verse 7 with, for there are three that testify. And then verse 8 says, uh, the spirit, the water, the blood, and, these th- and, and the three are in agreement. All right, that's what it says in the NIV. But that's not what verse 7 says, and that's not what ver- verse 8 says, okay? In the King James, it says, for there are, verse 7 says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Verse 8 says, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now, what they've done in the NIV, those liars, they've taken verse 7 out, but they took part of verse 8 and made it, pretended it was verse 7 so that it doesn't look like they took anything out. But they did. Uh They pull a lot of shenanigans like that. 
And then if you go to, um, let's see, John uh, chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8 through 11, has a, it prefaces it with a few manuscripts, include these verses wholly or in part, after John 7.36. In other words, they put a little, um, uh, a, a, uh, a footnote that says that, and then they say, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 through 8.11. And they couldn't take them all out, so what they do is they put that in the body of the text with a line above it, to tell you, hey, this is, don't pay attention to any of this. Don't pay attention. I mean, it's, it's basically what they're doing. Uh, you know, it, it's, these, these guys are scoundrels, absolute scoundrels. And those, those are just a, a sample of some of those things as you're reading the Bible that they've taken out. Now, if you want to look at how they change things as far as doctrine in the Bible, that is also another uh, interesting study because they have done many of those things. And let's look at, at some examples, okay? Um, mm -hmm. Let me see. Let me grab some examples here. Okay. Right off the bat, we have... Um, in Genesis 22:18, okay, <laughs> the King James says, "And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." Okay, now this this is conveying a spiritual truth. Okay, and the NIV translates this spiritual truth this way. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Okay? So they changed the word seed to offspring. Okay? Well, when you look at the New Testament and you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, it states, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, Not and to seeds as of many but as of one, thy seed, which is Christ. So Galatians makes it clear that God wrote seed in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, for a particular reason. It was not to be plural. It was to refer to Jesus Christ, the one seed that is Jesus Christ, okay? And if you look, however, in uh, uh, the NIV, translation it has and through your offspring okay which is many not one many all nations on earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed me so here we have instead of seed as of one you have offspring and now we have if you look at the av the promises made to abraham uh it refers to seed one and we are the seed of abraham if we have his faith so it says here if you look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant, and to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed. Okay? And so what does the NIV do? It pluralizes it. It says, And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and 
me and you and your descendants, plural, after you for the generation to come and for your God and the God of your descendants after you, okay? So here we have, they're turning a, a, a promise to the seed, which is Jesus Christ, and if we have the faith of Christ, okay, uh, in Galatians 3.29, it says, if ye be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you have the faith of Abraham, then you, have, you are the seed of Abraham as promised in Genesis uh, chapter 17, verse 7, and in Genesis 22, verse 18. And, but the NIV conceals that. The NIV conceals that. They, have, they refer to descendants, so you don't get that meaning. See? Yeah, you would even you could even you could even interpret that their their uh, concoction is saying that the the gods after you it doesn't even have to be the one true God. Well, and another thing, it's a, it's a Zionist interpretation. It's a Zionist translation because obviously yeah. it's in reference to the Jews who are the descendants of Abraham. That's that's the yeah. idea here. Yeah, you know Absolutely. and. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, if, if you read Galatians 3, 6 through 9, it says, Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that, um, that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. See, the children of Abraham are those which are of the faith of Abraham. Right. So right. they which be of the faith are blessed with faith Abraham. It's not, it's not the physical seed. It's the spiritual seed yes. that has the faith of Abraham. And, but that meaning is lost in the NIV. That's right. And then we, know example, seed, we know the seed is Christ. So. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And if you have the faith of Abraham, uh, then you are the children of Abraham according to the promise. And if you have the faith of Abraham... You also are, are party, part of the body of Christ. You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, if you yes. are Christ. So it's a spiritual truth. Uh, we are in Christ. Right. Christ is in us, so we are also uh, the seed of Abraham. Now, uh, we have another passage in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 15. Uh, where there's a reference to Lucifer. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which does weaken the nations. And it talks about him being brought down to hell in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Now the NIV, however, twists that. And it says, how thou have fallen from heaven, O morning star. It doesn't say Lucifer, son of the dawn. Wow. And by the way, there is no translation, there is no manuscript, Greek or otherwise, that has the word morning star. Interesting. Uh, but that's what they yeah. wrote there. These people are devilish and evil. Uh, you have been cast down to the earth. You've been brought to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Now, it has the morning star being cast into hell and cast into the pit. It doesn't have Lucifer. Well, who is the morning star? Well, if you, if you read Revelation 22:16. Jesus calls himself the morning star. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So Absolutely. they have twisted this passage and blasphemously 
changed it to be the casting of Jesus Christ into hell. Wow. Wow. And and what is that when you when you attribute the characteristics of the devil to God? That's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yep. In Matthew Absolutely. twelve, twenty four through thirty two, they they said to Jesus, You do cast out the devil by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. And Jesus' response was um, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So the NIV um, has committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit by attributing the damnation of Lucifer and, and changing it to the damnation of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. Yep. So, yes, these are changes. These are very real changes. These are not, and you know, the, they, they want to quibble, and they don't like to get into specifics here. They will shy away from specifics. They, they say, oh, no doctrine has been changed. That's another thing that they ask D.A. Wait, whether any doctrine in the Bible has been changed. Uh, in the new versions, and he had a hard time answering that. Clearly, there are doctrines changed, no doubt about it. In fact, if you if you look at uh, Luke chapter two, verse thirty-three, uh, it says in the King James, "And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things." Well, what does the NIV say? And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, Joseph wasn't his father. God no. is the father. God is Jesus' father. So they change that, that um, to, to make Joseph the father of Jesus. And now in, um, in uh, Timothy 3.16, we have, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up unto glory. Okay. Now, what does the NIV say? Beyond question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, uh, was preached among nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Well, they have he. The point is, God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, and that, that meaning is lost. No. That's interesting. I, I heard uh, T.D. Jakes do a whole sermon on uh, the fact that Jesus Christ was not always divine. He became divine after his birth. Wow. 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 We. That's incredible. Yeah. And by the way, that's part of the doctrine of the United uh, Pentecostal churches, that God was not now, Jesus Christ's incarnation is what brought about his divine nature. <laughs> okay. wow. That is incredible blasphemy. Yeah. yeah it's an attack yeah. on the, the Godhead, too, the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, all creation, God, Jesus Christ is the creator. 
And yes. give, give you an example. Ephesians 3.9 says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Okay? Amen. Well, what, is, what does the NIV say? Well, the NIV takes out by Jesus Christ. Wow. It simply says, and to make plain everyone, the administration of the mystery, which for ages past was hidden in God, who created all things. Wow. Don't say by Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. They take that out. I wonder what they do. I wonder what NIV does with the Colossians. It says all things were created by him and for him. Be interesting to know what they say on that passage. Anyway, yeah. that's well, interesting. Even well, even if they have it, let's let's look. Let's see what it let's see what it says here. Even if they have it, it's it's like a it's like a road sign. See, they, they will make arguments like, well, that concept is found elsewhere in the Bible where it's still intact. Oh. Okay. Oh, but, I got but I yeah. but I liken that I liken that to somebody who takes stop signs off of intersections and they say, Well, we <laughs> left the stop signs in other places. Okay. Yeah, but that doesn't yeah. help the person who comes at an intersection. See, when they crash yeah. their car into a car, another car, it, it would be helpful for them to have that stop sign, even though it's just one word. Okay. So yeah, every right. word is important. Yeah. Is inspired. Absolutely. And if you look at, um, let's see, Second Corinthians uh, five nineteen. Okay, uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Well, NIV has it, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So they, they take out this idea that God was in Christ. Okay? They, that, that whole concept is gone. Um, another thing they do, by the way, is they, uh, with regard to his creation and cosmology, they, they, they try to water that down significantly. Uh, example, in Isaiah 40:22, um, they it states that it is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. The inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Yeah, but what is the, um, uh, the Douay Reims version? This is the Jesuit Roman Catholic version says, it is he that sitteth upon the globe of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as locusts. Okay, so they yes. change it to globe when it says circle. Uh, first, first Timothy 6.20, um, it talks about, uh, O Timothy, keep that which is committed unto thy trust, avoiding profane and vague babblings, and opposition of science, falsely so-called. Well, what do they do in the NIV? They change science to knowledge. It says, uh, turn away from godless chatter and the opposition of ideas, what is falsely called knowledge. What? How does that, how does that, help? How does that guide anybody? Okay. Um, and then we have in Isaiah 38.8, where the sun returned 10 degrees, by which degrees it had gone down in Isaiah, where it says that. So the sun returned 10 degrees. Well, the NIV changes that. So the shadow cast by the sun uh, go back the 10 steps. It was going down in the stairway of Ahaz. Okay. The sunlight <laughs> went back 10 steps. So the, so the sun didn't return 10 degrees, as the Bible says. It's the sunlight went back 10 steps. Well, that fits very nicely into the heliocentric version 
whereas the sun going reversing 10 degrees can only be on a geocentric flat Earth. Very interesting. By the way, that, that passage right there was one of the main reasons that one person is no longer with us in our Bible study when you were in a uh, discussion and dialogue with that person regarding that passage. Can you believe it? Really? He couldn't. He really? Couldn't, he, could no, he could no longer handle it. He could no longer handle it. Yeah. Well, see, there, there is, there is, there are things in the gospel that are milk, and then there, there are things that are meat. And so you got to have the, I mean, when you're, when you are, are a mature Christian, you know, you have to, and you grow teeth, then you're going to, I mean, there, there are, uh, and I, I'm always learning. Okay. Right. And, and what we have to do is we have to learn to yield to the truths uh, that are in the, in the Bible. And that's, that's Absolutely. the response that you should have as a Christian that, no matter what your preconceptions are, you yield to the truth of God's word. That's the response of a, of a child of God. Right, right. Well, this has been a very profitable uh, and very specific-oriented discussion, which I appreciate all of the work that you've done. And it sure, it sure sheds light on some of the motives behind why all of these changes, all of these eliminations, all of these additions. And I I didn't realize that they'd actually even footnoted that, you know, that these passages were not in the early manuscripts and there's and the early witnesses or whatever word they use. I didn't realize they left out big in other words they didn't leave them out, but they might as well have because they they took away all the credibility of them by putting that in there. I well, didn't realize that. Yeah. By the way, by the way, that that language that prefaces those certain passages, that's actually yeah. in the text. That's not in. They don't. They don't footnote that. They put it right in the text. They basically say, uh-huh. "Hey, heads up! This is not. In, these following passages are not in the best manuscripts." Wow. Which calls into that's question. A- which calls into question the legitimacy, the inerrancy of God's word. That's right. Preservation of his words. Yeah, I mean, I could, you know, you could, you might grasp it if they footnoted it, by by them putting it right in the body. That's supposed to be the body. Of, that's supposed to be God's word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, what they're saying is, wow, we're, we question, we we question whether this is God's word. Basically, this is not wow. in the best manuscripts, so we don't think it should be here. Is what they're saying essentially. Wow. So they're they're calling into question the um, the infallibility, the inerrancy of God's word. That basically they're saying, hey, this has been tampered with. We think this might be man, these may be man's words. Wow, that would that would be enough to put doubts in people's minds regarding whether his word is even inspired or not. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. That's that's well, perfect. I want to thank you. Uh, we're, we're at the end of the hour here, um, and I'm glad we started early because it gave us extra time. So I'm glad that we uh, we jump started that. Um, yes, that was very helpful to me, and I know it's got, if it was helpful to me, it had to be helpful to all of our 
Facebook um, audience here. Um, I don't know if you got my email, but I would like for you to consider uh, doing a presentation. Um, and, and I really like it more when you kind of more do a like this kind of format uh, because we get a lot more information than when we just have all these people jumping in all the time. Uh, I'd like for you to do a, a presentation on the topic of education, especially humanistic um, graduate education and, and the you know the the effects that it's had on our culture and on our society. I know what kind of effect it's had on me and my family. Um, anyway, would that be a possibility for next week? <laughs> or is that um, pushing it? Too let me much? let me let me think about it. I'd, I'd like to uh, if I can if I can frame that in a in a biblical uh, uh, you know yeah, uh, yeah let right. me let me I'm I have a lot of specific information about some of the shenanigans that they do, but I have to. I know I know you've mentioned before that that education in a nutshell is demonic. I mean, a lot of it is yeah. uh, uh you know it's not yeah. a god yeah we can we can yeah let's get that yeah we'll 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 give that a shot i'll have to um i'll have to gather some now, we, together I, we would never we would never set forth and make the presupposition or statement that all education is demonic we're not saying that we're saying that uh <laughs> i still believe in reading writing and arithmetic okay I don't know if I believe it taught to the tune of a hickory stick or not. <laughs> but as it relates to all of this, all of this stuff that's going on right now with education, I mean, our education, the classes that are taught at the graduate level, most of them mm -hmm. have a key a purpose of absolutely dethroning God. I'll go that far. They really are. They want to they want to promote Darwinism. They want to promote evolution. They want to promote uh, heliocentrism. They want to promote pa pagan uh, philosophy as well as uh, many gods. All paths lead to God. All of the philosophies out there right now are totally um, antithetical to the true God. That we serve, and so that's that's really what I'd like to get at, you know, in our in our next next week if we could. So I appreciate you taking that under advisement. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, listen. Thank you, and thanks, uh, Mark and Andrew, and all of our guests. We've had a good group yeah. tonight, uh, and we'll look forward to seeing you. Uh, now, tomorrow night, or Wednesday night, I'm sorry, Brother Mark and I are going to be going through the book, uh, God Does Not Love Everyone, But He Does Love His Elect from Everlasting to Everlasting. We're ready for what, yes. Chapter 5, Mark? Okay. And then uh, Sunday we Sunday morning and Sunday night, we will be having our continued uh, Bible studies. And then next Monday night, we'll look forward to Brother um, Ed coming in uh, and talking about um, education and the um, aspects of what we're facing in our in our culture with the educational system and what it's uh, promoting. 
With that, I'm going to say good night to everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. God bless the saints of God. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.